0: Uh, and that the tomb was empty on this day as well. And so uh, we're thankful for that empty tomb. In fact, I was thinking through this week probably the emotions of what it felt like for uh, the women who first discovered that the tomb was empty to come and to see uh, that he isn't there and to feel that kind of emotion and and to wonder, where is my Savior? Where is my God? Where is my friend? where Where is he? He's not here. And then suddenly for him to... Appear, I think it's kind of a fitting moment for me just to feel a little bit of that emotion. In fact, last week I uh, was at home, so I know what it's like a little bit for you that's watching uh, from a computer or from home. I did it with my family last week, was thankful for the opportunity. We know that it's not perfect. Uh, in fact, the system has kind of been bogged down, and so I know the stream isn't always uh, as smooth as we would like it to be, but uh, we're trusting the Lord on this Easter Sunday. I want to share a couple of things that I think uh, are really... Important. Uh, Number one is in the last 28 days, so uh, in about the time that we've kind of been in this process of isolation, uh, I've checked some statistics for us online, our reach, this is just for Facebook, doesn't include YouTube, our reach is up 892%. Uh, Our engagement, which is a, a word that's used online for, it's actually kind of a more pure number for people that are actually engaging and communicating and talking and liking. It's the it's the term we would probably use at church for those who attend. There are those who are just kind of show up to church. They're not uh, totally interested in being involved. This church is kind of a, a box that they check. Um, but engagement is people who are serving and they're, they're connected and they're really caring about what's happening. That number is up 539%. Our page likes are up 500% just in the last twenty eight days all of that to be said um we we are mourning that you're not here. I am personally, I know that for sure. I would much rather have this room filled with people. Last year was a great Easter success for us. many came, many were impacted, uh, and God was good to us and and even though that you're not here, I think it's worthy for us to celebrate. That if these are just our numbers, our little church in a mountain town, if we're reaching that many more people, imagine how many more people other churches are reaching with their innovation and ability to go online and all of that. And so we're looking forward to the day where you're actually here in the room. In fact, what's really kind of neat about this online thing that we're doing is many people who would never come to church. Are actually checking out church, and I've had some of you contact me. And I just want you to know, I'm thankful that you're tuning in, and I'm thankful that you're you're hearing the good news and the message of Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and a couple places that I've heard people who are tuning in, as far as Palm Springs, Hawaii, San Jose, Texas, Michigan, even Brazil, Spain, Indianapolis. Uh, there's a broad reach, and so we're just thankful that you're here, and we pray that you are impacted by uh, the message this morning as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That what I want to talk about with you this morning is the results of the resurrection. What what are the implications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? But let me first back up a little bit and recognize that the Christian story is that God saw that there was a brokenness and a fracturedness within Mankind. The COVID-19 disease is an example of what we're wrestling with and through recognizing that because of sin and the fallenness of mankind, there is disease and there is pestilence. In fact, the Bible actually says that disease and pestilence uh, is not only just a result of sin, but we're going to hear rumors of earthquakes and disease and, and hardships and war as birth pains For the return of a Messiah who would save us. And so we recognize that Jesus, who is God, came from heaven to earth to mingle with, to tabernacle with, is the word that's used in the New Testament, to put his tent amongst us. He became flesh to be one of us, to live a perfect life, to, to walk amongst this world in a way uh, that with perfection, to please God the Father, that we would come to know him. And so all of the other religions we know in the world, all of them would essentially say that you can find salvation or peace through a system of works or through uh, the ability of emptying yourself of your kind of, uh, you know, your badness. You, you can purge yourself of these things that hinder you. And right now, we're dealing with the same thing. There's all these people who are saying, if we get the right kind of political stuff in line, we will be able to fix the COVID-19. If we get the right doctors or if we vaccinate. Everybody, that's kind of Bill Gates thing right now, right? He's saying we need to make sure everyone gets vaccinated. There's all these different solutions to fixing COVID-19. And some people think it's a conspiracy. I've seen all of those stories as well that China's doing this to take over the world. I'm not here to tell you what's happening because I don't know. But what I do know is that, that that sin has entered into the world. It's broken us apart, and all other religions would say, you have to do things a particular way to find salvation. If you go to a particular prophet, then that prophet will point you to God. But Jesus instead says, I'm not pointing you to God. I am God. If you come to me you will find salvation and rest for your souls. And in fact, the fact that that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, so we recognize, let me again back up here, that the the entire gospel story is that in order for us to be forgiven, Christ needed to die, a a perfect sacrifice needed to die on our behalf that, that somebody needed to take our sin and our junk and our guilt and our shame upon himself and that somebody would need to give us that perfection and Jesus did that on the cross and then we know that he was then buried for three days. And then he rose again. That's why we're here this morning. That's why you're tuning in. That's why you're listening to this message, to hear the importance and the implications of the resurrection of God. And everything in Christianity hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, everything. Uh, In fact, if the resurrection didn't happen, then there's no need for us to even be here. It's all worthless. In fact, Tim Keller says it like this. He says, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept everything he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not, listen now, whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Whether or not you think he's a good teacher is is unimportant. Because Jesus, in fact, claimed to be God. There's multiple places where he uses the, the words, I am, to show, to invoke to his audience that he was God. It's why he was crucified, the brutal death that he died because the Jews said, this is heresy. This guy's claiming to be God. And there's no way he can be God. How dare he do that? Not only that, but he was also rubbing against the God of the Pharisees, which was to make money out of the temple because Jesus was essentially saying the temple where you come to be religious is gonna be done away with and a new temple is gonna come and be raised up and that temple is gonna be mankind. So God doesn't dwell within a building, my friends. He dwells within human hearts. And that's what's so beautiful uh, about what we're experiencing right now. And I experienced it last week with my family and my kids. Knowing knowing that that even though that 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 I am not with you And I was at home on my couch and I stood as we sang and I stood as we read the scriptures and I sat as I listened to the message that Wayne preached last week and I I felt just this emotional tug upon my heart knowing that there are hundreds of you, if not even thousands of you who are still with me, worshiping the God of the Bible who died on behalf of our sins. Acts chapter 2 verse 24 says this about God who was raised up out of the grave after dying the death that you and I deserve. And it says this, this is what he did. He loosened the pains, the pain it means, literally the, the agony, the labor of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. That's good news. See, Jesus had to come back from the dead because he was the creator of life. That idea of pain is he loosens pain and death not just from himself, but for us. He did that for us. Here's the good news, church, this morning about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He loosens the pains. Now, I don't know how you've been responding over the last several weeks. I don't know where your emotional state has been. I don't know how worried you have been or how how fretful you have been or how fearful you have been. But what I know is that I've had a certain kind of confidence in my life in this season because I know that this life is just a small blip on the radar that there's a better life to come. That's what the resurrection promises us, newness, forgiveness of sins. Uh, in fact, Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite uh, pastors way back in the day, he's long and gone. For those of you who may not know who he is, he's known as the Prince of Preachers, and he was a big guy, and he was a fun guy. He was kind of known for his sarcasm. In fact, if you read some of his books, uh, he, he can be pretty forthright and pretty blunt and pretty sarcastic. He was known for uh, drinking cigars uh, uh, end on end. He was a cigar-smoking, gospel-preaching evangelist, and he just was a guy who understood the grace of God and reached so many people during his ministry. And he says this about the idea that that the grave could not hold our Messiah after his death. He says, if, if he, speaking of Jesus, was more than a match for death, who or what shall ever be able to stand against him? Death, the slaughterer of all mankind before whom kings and princes as well as the meanest of their subjects lie prostrate in the tomb. Death before whom giants bend as a rush sways to and fro in the wind. Even death is vanquished by Christ. He is the destroyer of destruction and the death of death. Then what power can possibly stand in opposition of him? I want to cheer you In these dark and evil days, with a strong belief in our great master's omnipotence and invincible might, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. With such a hero to lead us, victory is sure, no matter how stern the conflict. You see, Spurgeon knew and Jesus knew that we need the truth that there are better days ahead. To measure life in the realm of eternity, not just with the day that we're wrestling in, not just not just this particular moment, but for the moments to come in, in the future where we know that Jesus died to save us, not just for this life, but for the life to come. The resurrection gives us hope and promise. Let me just share this with you because... Some of you, some of you are tuning in, and you maybe don't believe in Jesus, or you believe that Jesus was a good teacher, but there's no way that you believe that he was resurrected from the dead. Uh, and let me just share with you that, that first of all, uh, C.S. Lewis has this term that we've used here before in regards to our kind of uh, social thinking with, with how we fix problems. C.S. Lewis said that we always think that the, the generation in which we live is always smarter than the past generations. Uh, what he meant was, well, the way he said it actually was, uh, he called it chronological snobbery. And what he meant by that was that with each generation, we think we have it more figured out than the past generation. And so some of us today would say, we don't believe in the resurrection because, because well, we have more science and we have more thinking and we have more logic and we have, we just, there's just no way we could believe in something like that. And let me just share with you, that thinking is indeed chronological snobbery. Because the people in Jesus' day didn't believe in the resurrection either any more than they would today. They still baffled at it. In fact, when Peter, uh, I'm sorry, Paul was sharing the gospel with Agrippa, Agrippa basically scoffed at him and said, you want me to be a Christian? He he scoffed at the reality of the resurrection. In fact, uh, in Jesus' day, I know it's offensive, but it's true in Jesus' day, the testimony of women... That, that, that if a woman said this happened, it was deemed uh, that, it, that it basically was an illegal testimony that women could not and should not and would not be trusted. And there's literature that shows us this reality. However, we see the first two witnesses are two women at the empty tomb. It's not how you start a movement. However, Paul, as he tells Agrippa and he tells those in Athens who are worshiping other false gods, he says, okay, listen, if you don't want to believe me, that's fine. That's fine. However, let me, let me just share with you this reality. There's 12 other disciples that you can go to that Jesus actually saw. In fact, Jesus actually showed up after the resurrection and he shared with over 500 people and he says, they're still alive today. Go ahead and find them. Here's their address. Here's the door to knock on. You can go to all 500 people, and you can ask them, is this true? And they'll say, yes, it's true. In fact, Jesus's resurrection was so powerful that that it could not stop the movement of Christianity, and it essentially did away with, uh, in many ways, in many respects, Judaism. You had men and women and families who were entrenched in thousands of years of Judaism. I mean, you're talking about people who grew up in, in a home where they were told, Yahweh is God, the sacrificial system, is the way in which we, we are to get forgiveness of sins. All that Old Testament stuff, year after year after year after year, they, they were told, this is how you do it. And, and you were going to be a Jew because you were born a Jew, and you were going to practice Judaism because you were born in Judaism, and that's just the way it was. And yet, Jesus infiltrated that through his death and resurrection and completely changed the system of salvation, that it would be by grace alone, not sacrifices of lamb and sheep. Jesus' resurrection totally changed the whole Middle East and how it operates. Jesus' resurrection has changed us, his message has continued to be proclaimed year after year after year after year because it happened. In fact, Paul essentially tells Agrippa in, in the passage in which I'm speaking, he says, basically, you know that the proclamation is true. You know it's true, but you don't necessarily want to accept it. Here, and here's why. Here's ultimately why the resurrection is so difficult for us to accept because uh, back to what Keller said, if, if he really rose from the dead, then Jesus is not just a good teacher, he's a king. He's a king that we should submit to. What it means is if we accept the truth of the resurrection, it means, it means that we actually have to listen to everything that Jesus says. It means that we have to make him the Lord of our life. It means we have to change the way that we use our money. It means we have to change the way we use our sexuality. It means we have to change the way that we do everything. And we don't want to be told, as Americans, we don't want to be told how to live because we have our freedom and we have our liberty. But what Jesus ultimately says is that true liberty and true freedom are only found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Every single one of us do best with boundaries. The illustration we use sometimes here at church is the fish out of water. If you put a fish in the ocean, that fish is free. It can swim. A dolphin can leap out of the water. I love watching those nature shows where have the opportunity to just see how crazy animals are in their natural environment, especially within water because we are so, so not really built for swimming as people. You put us in the ocean, and we ultimately are just bait. We're just there to, to, to be eaten by something that is, that is meant to live in the ocean. And that's freedom for that fish. If you take a fish out of water, that that fish ultimately does not breathe. It does not do well. It suffocates and it eventually dies. This is the message that Jesus has proclaimed us. There's a way to live. There's a box that we're supposed to be in. You're only truly free if you understand the grace of God. If you accept the grace of God for yourself, you're only truly free. We like to say, well, if I do this and I do that and I do all these things that I want, then I'll be really, really happy. And the reality is, is we know and I know that right now our nation is not happy. Our people are not happy. Even in isolation right now, they're saying, even in our community in Truckee, they put out a, a kind of press release that more, more people are coming to the hospital because of basically overdosing on alcohol in the season. People are drink, drinking in large doses. We, we know that that, that uh, domestic violence has risen as well. The children are being abused in these uh, seasons in a way that they weren't before, that those statistics, those have all risen because, because we know that isolation is not good. But ultimately, let me just share with you, friends, ultimately, isolation isn't just about human-to-human contact. It's about being isolated from God. And that is what happened in the Garden of Eden. Our sin and our junk and our shame have isolated us from God. And if we come to Jesus in the message of Jesus Christ, then we're reconciled to God. That's That's the message of the resurrection. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message for you this morning, that you can be reconciled to God. And that if you feel this this sense that Jesus is speaking to you, that he's reaching out to you, and that he's desiring you, then you'll recognize that he gives you this new life and new ability to do something that you've never been able to do before, and it's the million-dollar word repentance. Repentance. It's a Christian word, it's not a word that most of us use in, in, in our, our kind of world, in our daily language, but repentance is a beautiful word that is a biblical word that we have to keep, and repentance literally means it gives you the ability to acknowledge that you have sin, to turn from that sin, and then to claim all of God's grace for yourself. And then, that that idea of repentance gives you the ability, understanding that you've turned from your sin. And you've ran towards Jesus when you turn from the things that, that are suffocating you like the fish out of the water, and you turn to Jesus, you find new freedom, and then you can grow in your Christian faith without condemnation. Because here's the deal. Every single one of us wants to be better at what we do. All of us, including myself. I, I want to be a better dad. I, I want to be a better husband, for sure. I, I, I want to be a better pastor. I want to be a better friend. I want to be better at everything that I do. In fact, not only that, I want to do things that, that somehow last eternity that are not a waste of my time. And I'm sure you do too. I'm sure ultimately down deep, even for the most wicked of us who are listening in, down deep, you want to be better. You want to improve. And what the gospel does is the gospel says, okay, listen, Christianity is not about getting better. So it kind of just puts this off to the side and says, listen, if you, if you run to Jesus to get better, you won't get better. This is the, the paradox within our faith. It's the paradox, even for those of you who are Christians who believe in the resurrection already, that, that you've accepted Jesus, that you go, I want to grow, and, and you get frustrated when you don't grow. Jesus essentially says, hey, listen, it's not, it's not about the growth. You can't come to me for growth. You can't come to Jesus to be a better husband. You can't come to Jesus to be a better wife or a better dad. You, you can't. Now, certainly, certainly, certainly that may happen, but that's not why you come to Jesus. You come to Jesus because the proclamation is true. You come to Jesus because it's true that he is our God and he's our Savior. You come to Jesus because you know you you need Jesus ultimately for the salvation of your soul and for for your own perfection and your own happiness and your own joy. Now, the result may be that you grow in these other areas. But you don't have to grow to be loved by God. Here's the thing. God, God sees you right now where you're at. And regardless of your imperfections, and regardless of your mistakes, regardless of your addictions, Jesus sees you and he loves you, and he wants you to come into a right relationship with him that's found in Jesus. Now, people have asked me before, and I've used that term, a right relationship. What is a right relationship with Jesus? A right relationship with Jesus is a relationship in where you recognize you need him as your Savior, and you desire him as your Savior, and then everything flows out of that. What would life look like if you claimed all of God's grace for yourself and then you practiced that kind of grace within your culture and your family and your people? What if you accepted the grace of God for you and then you gave that same kind of grace to other people? What would our world look like? Would it be fearful as it is today? Would it be as fretful? Would it be as worried? Would it be as legalistic? Would it be as liberal? I think our world would be a much better place if they recognized that God gives us the ability to accept all of his grace for ourselves and to turn away from those things that are self-centered. You see, to become a Christian is actually to become more human. And to accept Jesus makes you more of a human than it does if you reject him. And the reality of the resurrection not only is one result that it gives you repentance, but the second result is it gives you a new birth. It gives you a fresh start. In fact, there was a man in John chapter 3, verse 14. Maybe you remember the story. It was a Pharisee. His name was Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was a, a religious guy. He had it all together. I mean, he was known as somebody who prayed. He was known as somebody who gave to the church, who served God's people. He was a Pharisee. He was, he was the guy you would look to and say, he has it together. He's a guy I should emulate. He's a guy I should follow. Maybe he should disciple me. And he comes, he comes to Jesus at night because he doesn't want his other friends to see him because he's worried what they may say. And he says to Jesus, hey, hey, Jesus, uh, how does one get saved? And then Jesus uses this crazy language. He says, in order to be saved, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus is thinking, just like you and I, remember I told you, logic existed in jesus's day science existed in jesus day and people still were thinking and he said he literally takes it it figured uh, literally and he says wait a minute uh, how does one go back into his mom's belly to get born again how does that happen and jesus doesn't go into the science of it all he just says listen through man it's impossible but through god it's possible He says, if you want to be born again, you have to come to me, recognize that you need to be born again in faith, and then Jesus changes you in a moment. Here's the reality of the resurrection. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, Jesus implants a seed in you that regenerates you and makes you new. You're you're forgiven. You're made new in his image. Your sins have been washed away. And this seed, it says that this imperishable seed is placed inside of us and the word that's used there is sperma. Yes, adults, you know what I'm talking about. It's implanted within us and we get a new nature. It's the only way we can actually say no to sin. So it doesn't make us perfect, right? We know this. (laughs) No one this morning believes that they're perfect. I don't think. And if you do, there's a whole other conversation we need to have. None of us are perfect and yet Yet we know when God's seed is planted in us, something happens. First of all, think of that idea of, of what it's like to plant a seed in the dirt. It, it's penetrating. It's small at first. It goes into the dirt. It penetrates down in the hardest parts of our hearts, and the hardest parts of the soil, and it begins to grow. And yet it's also subtle. You never see a tree grow. Even in our home, we've been in it for almost four years. There's a couple of trees around us. And, and if I can go back and remember what some of those trees looked like four years ago and where they're at today, I didn't recognize or see them grow. You never see a tree grow. It's so subtle, and yet this is how salvation works. God's seed's implanted in you. And then his new nature's given in you. You can say no because you have a new nature. You no longer have to say yes to your addictions. You can say yes to Jesus. You, you can understand grace and forgiveness on a level that you've never had before. You can, you can receive it in a way that, that, that has never been experienced before. And it's penetrating. God's grace gets inside of you, and it... It starts to break up the areas that you, you know that, that you, you can't wrestle with on your own. See, God is the one who ultimately fixes these things, and that's why when we come to him at church, we don't come to church so we can become better people. We don't read our Bible so we can become better people. We come to church so that we can experience the goodness of God and, and the reality of, who Jesus, of Jesus, who Jesus is. Most of you know I, I grew up in a home for several years that just was fractured and, and broken. And it was one day when I was 12 years old, my mom came home and she said, I found Jesus and she shared the message of Jesus and everything about my mom changed the the way she spoke changed the way that she talked changed she she got up earlier in the morning and the way she dressed even changed she she went on this little kind of bender for a while i think some of you remember it where 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 you know hey to be conservative you got to wear a dress all the way down to your ankles and she would wear a hat in church and she got really really conservative because she just she recognized how good god was and she wanted to respond uh, in, in likeness to the goodness of god now now that's kind of legalism kind of stuff. She gave up most of that. But the reality is, is inside of her heart, she, she wanted people to see physically what she knew happened inside eternally. And when we experience Jesus, we get that newness, man, we want to be able to share with people the goodness of God. And we want people to understand and see, I Man, He is good. He has changed my life. I have a peace that surpasses understanding. I, I have a relationship with my wife that isn't perfect, but we, we work together on things, and we wrestle through, not because of, of what's gonna come, but because God is good. This seed gets in, and it changes your life, and it penetrates and breaks up all kinds of soil and hard stuff. I mean, that was the the testimony of my mom. And then later, I think, some of you have heard this story on several occasions. My my uh, stepfather wasn't a Christian, and he he was a motorcycle-riding, hard kind of dude, rough guy. He had spent some time in prison himself, and and my mom told him, hey, listen, you, you are going to go to a men's retreat, or I'm leaving you, which we've jokingly said that's probably not the best way to do evangelism, but sure enough, I remember my dad, he's cussing, he's stuffing his clothes in his bag, and... And he heads off to the men's retreat, and he goes to the men's retreat, he hears the message of Jesus, that Jesus died for his sins, that Jesus washed him clean. And he comes home, and he says, I'm a Christian. My dad went from being one of the most violent, angry people I've ever met or ever known to one of the kindest, most soft-hearted people that I've, I've ever known. And, and I was able to see with my own eyes the penetrating power of salvation when one believes upon Jesus in faith. I was able to see for myself the transforming power of God, and that is why I do what I do as a pastor today. And I still continue to see people reached by God and reached by the gospel, and I believe that he wants to reach you this morning. I believe that he wants you to respond in faith and kindness to the grace of God, to open up your heart and to say, I want the forgiveness of God. I want the seed of God to come into my soul to break up the hardness of my heart and, and to make me the person that God ultimately wants me to be so that I can be free so I don't have to feel like a slave anymore. I don't have to have depression like I've had. I don't have to have anxiety like I've had. I want to I wanna have the kind of faith that I see in some of these Christians that aren't fretting about COVID-19. I mean, don't get me wrong, church. We've had to carry a lot of kind of just weird tension and balance in this because we recognize that the Bible commands us as Christians to gather together. And then now we're in the season where where we're being told you can't gather because if you do, you might make people sick, especially those who are older. One of my fears is I, I kept thinking, man, if I forced our church to gather and I made that stance of, hey, you know what, you need to come to the building anyways. And I think of all the older people who come to our church, people who love Jesus and have loved Jesus for years, and if they got sick and something happened to them, I don't know how I would live with myself. At the same time, some of our older people are like, you know what, I don't care. I'm ready to go home. And they still want to gather and they still want to be here. However, at the same time, we recognize that everything we do as Christians, especially in our small community, is being seen by the world around us. The hospitals watching, our school leaders are watching all people who are serving our community well right now and who love us, those who work at Safeway, who are putting themselves at risk are watching us. and I would hope they would see that we're making a small sacrifice to not be in the room together so that we could still gather in our own house so that we could hopefully maybe maybe keep people safe. I, it's debatable, right? But we're doing our part to show Truckee, California and the rest of the world, you know, what? we do love you. And we're willing to forsake some of that which we find very beautiful so that you can know that we love you. And I would say to, to those in our community who are serving us well, thank you. Every time I go into a store and I see uh, there's one gal I think of in a store that I still go to every now and then, and, and I can see she's, she's scared, but she's thankful she has a job. But she is fearful. And she knows I'm a, peer, I'm a preacher. She knows I'm a pastor. And at first she was like, you're a pastor? Same kind of reaction most people get. And unless I'm dressed with a tie. But if I'm at the gym and those kind of places, people, people don't go, well, you, oh, yeah, of course you're a pastor. Now most people go, you're a pastor? And, um, and she said, you're a preacher? I said, yeah. And, and this was uh, several months ago, and she was blown away by it. And so every Sunday when I've gone in to see and, and grab something to drink in the store or what have you. And then this Sunday, just even today, she said, Happy Easter. And I, I could tell she, she had a mask on. And when she saw me, she, she's behind her own little plexiglass window. And when she saw me, she, she, she wanted me to see her smile. So she took off her mask so I could see her smile so she could talk to me face to face. Because I believe and I think that she knows that there's some hope inside of the gospel. More people than ever right now are asking, where is God in all of this? And here's what the resurrection teaches us. God is everywhere in this. He's in your home. He's he's with your kids. I promise you he's ministering to your kids' families. And I promise you that if you would get your eyes off of the news and off of social media and off of all the political junk that's happening and you put your eyes on the cross and then you put your eyes on the empty tomb, you will not have the same kind of fear. You'll have what we like to call pillars of fearlessness. There's this passage in Isaiah 41.10. talks about, the kind of just focuses on the, this idea that he's been resurrected and that he's here with us and that once he ascended into heaven, he gave us his Holy Spirit to be with those who believe. He says this, do not fear. Now listen carefully to the commandments. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you. Uh, you, you. Do you hear that? Church, I mean, if, I know this is not in front of your face necessarily, but Isaiah 41.10, do not anxiously look about you. You know how that could be translated in, in modern English? Uh, do not anxiously look at Facebook. Do not anxiously look at CNN. Do not anxiously look at Yahoo News. Do not anxiously look at your Instagram post. Do not anxio- anxiously look at the death toll and the amounts of infectious disease. Do not anxiously look about you. For why? He says, because I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Do you you hear it? He's he's saying several things here. There's five things in this text you need to hear. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God being with us, he says, for I am with you, that means he's alongside of us. For I am your God, that means he's Lord, he's above us. He says, I will strengthen you, that's inside of us. He says, surely I will help you. That means he's in our problems. He recognizes we have problems. He says, I'll help you. And then in the last one, he says, and I will uphold you. He's underneath us. Do you hear God saying, listen, church, you have to understand something about the presence of God, about what I've done for you. It doesn't mean that you're not, you're, 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 you're not going to not have problems. You're going to have problems. But in your problems, he's alongside of you, he's over you, he's in you, he's below you, and he's in the problem, he's everywhere with you. You can be sure he will carry you through because the resurrection promises us that as Jesus defeated death, so we'll defeat death. Our ultimate problem is getting out of this world alive. And Jesus ensures that we can and we will. The resurrection is true, the resurrection is sure. So let me just kind of close with... How do you receive the salvation? The Bible is really clear that we are saved by grace. It's salvation by grace alone, unmerited, unearned favor. It means that you can't earn your salvation. There's no way you can do it. You don't have to, to go to Muhammad and then Muhammad tells you, well, here's all the things you need to do so you can get to God. That's not how you do it. We don't believe like the Mormons believe. You don't have to knock on a bunch of doors and you don't have to go on a mission trip to get saved. That's it's not how you get saved. We don't believe, as the Jehovah's Witness do, that if you knock on enough doors, you'll also reach people for Jesus. If you do enough good deeds, you'll reach people for Jesus. We don't believe that if you meditate long enough, you can purge yourself. No, what we believe is what Jesus has proclaimed, that we're saved because of what Jesus did. There's a reason he lived 33 years of perfection There's a reason he died, and there's a reason why he rose from the graves. You see, if you you go to all these other prophets, you'll find you can still find where they think they are buried. You cannot find where Jesus is buried. For the tomb is empty. He has been raised from the dead. There is no body to visit. There is no temple to go to. In church, that's the reminder. We may not be in the church building but remember, Jesus has never said the building is where my presence is. It's your heart. And we say, how do we get that in my heart? You, you proclaim your need for Jesus. You pray. You pray and you recognize and you ask him to come and take over your heart. And here's the deal. Some of you, because here's the deal, some of you are checking in. You're like, hey, what's, what's Christianity all about? And hopefully, you hear the message for the first time and you respond. Some of you, some of you, you only come to church at Easter. And, and I'm thankful that you come. I would rather you come. But I heard one pastor say, you know, if we believe in the resurrection and we only come to church on Easter, how dare us? How dare us? Because the, the reality is, is, if Jesus rose from the grave, he is not just some guy that we come to for good teaching. It's not about good teaching. It's about salvation. It's about making him Lord of our lives. My friends, if, if you're here and you believe in the resurrection, you only come on Sundays, here's my encouragement to you. Give your entire life to Jesus. Stop living on the fringe. Stop buying into the thinking of the world. Stop listening to the media. Stop listening to the politicians and give all of your life to him. Just give it all. And give it up. Give up all the stuff that you're holding on to. You don't need the alcohol. You don't need the pornography. You don't, you don't need the drugs. You don't need the pills. You don't, you don't need to be, to be on social media all the time and be the focus and, and taking all the selfies and whatever else. You don't need it. What you need is a right relationship with G- Jesus that frees you from the bondage of the world. Don't be a slave to the system of the world. Be a son of God. That's you this morning and you want to give your heart to Jesus, I want to encourage you, post a comment below. Or if you're you're somehow nervous of doing that, just say this prayer with me as we close, as I pray for our church and I pray for you. If you want to receive Jesus as your Savior this morning, please pray this. Jesus, thank you for the life that you lived on my behalf. Thank you, Jesus, for the death you died for me. Thank you, Jesus, for being resurrected from the dead so that I too would be resurrected from the dead. I now place all my faith in you and I desire to make you my Lord and my King. I desire to put away the old life because the resurrection shows me and teaches me that I need to listen and obey you. Not to receive heaven but because of the grace that you give me freely. Jesus, I give you my life now and I trust you always. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray for those in our church. Comfort them in this season strengthen them in the resolve at home. I know having kids in the house all day long with hardly anywhere to go is hard. I know sometimes listening to the sermon at home with kids is hard. And yet, Lord, we know that you are with us, you're present, you're beside us, you're underneath us, you're above us. Fear not. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage our people, strengthen their resolve, make them bold in you because of the reality, Lord, that you're not dead. And if you're not dead, we don't have anything else to fear. We trust you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen, Pastor. Thank you for words of encouragement. And uh, Deborah and I wanted to share a song with you, church, this morning. Um, Just pray that it ministers to your heart as it has ministered to ours. And uh, let's rejoice knowing that our God is good. He has redeemed us. He loves you. He cares for you. This is how it goes. i alone in my sorrow And dead in my sin Lost without hope With no place to begin Your love made a way To let mercy come in When death was the rest life began ash was redeemed only beauty remains my open heart was given a name my morning grew quiet my feet rose to dance when death was arrested my life began oh your
2: soul free washes over me you have made me new now life begins with you it's your endless love pouring down on us you have made us new now
1: With you. Releasing my chains, I'm a prisoner prisoner no more. more. My shame ransomed, ransom, he faithfully
2: bore. He canceled my debt and he called me his friend when faith was a wreck. Your grace so free Washes over me
1: to free joy. for your peace. We thank you, Lord, that you have set us free from the burden of sin. Lord, that we do not have to be fearful. Lord, knowing that you have overcome death. And Lord, that we will inherit eternal life when we pass from this life. Lord, we honor you. We thank you for Resurrection Sunday. We thank you that you're no longer in the tomb. And we have the hope one day you come coming back for us. We praise you, we honor you, in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us, church family. Just want to make you aware of a couple things as we close here. Number one, if you're new and you want to continue to stay connected, I want to encourage you to go to sbctruckie.com, go to the bottom, near the bottom of the page. There's an opportunity for you to sign up for our newsletter, lets you know about everything that that we're doing, gives you the updated videos, blog posts from our pastors, and what have you. Also, on that newsletter, as well as on the front page of our webpage, Uh, is some killer content for your kids for Children's Church. There's some great videos. Uh, There's some cutouts and stuff you can print on there for your kids for Easter. Uh, And that is getting launched every single week as we continue to not be here. And so we want to continue to make sure you have some tools to help you disciple your kids. So please take advantage of that. And of course... Uh, we are super thankful that you've continued to be generous to, towards Sierra Bible Church and giving and supporting us. And we want to encourage you, if you normally would give here at Easter when you visit, if you just go to our webpage, you'll see a tab there for giving there. It'll allow you to give online. Or you can mail it here in the church uh, at Sierra Bible Church. But nonetheless, we just want to thank you for joining us. God bless you. Have a great morning, great afternoon. Enjoy your Easter Sunday with your family. God bless.